Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. All right. Well, let's start our morning with a, a quiet moment of, uh, of prayer to prepare time. We, we are in the middle of, we're walking through um, a, a sermon series that's really focused on what does it look like for us to step out in what God's called us to as his people. Primarily, what we believe is that if God's people are activated to be his presence in the world, that where we go, we literally bring with us the peace, beauty, and justice of God's kingdom, that it means that God's people are actually good news to the world around us, and that the world's going to experience the flourishing and the presence of God where we go. And so what we're doing this morning is we're continuing on in that training series, because what we do out there, we do this for that. This is a starting point. On Sundays, we just we dive in to be transformed so that the world experiences more of God in our lives. So let's just take a moment to pray, send ourselves, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we want more of you. We want to hear your voice. We want to experience your peace and your kingdom's work in our lives. We want to set aside and leave behind the sin and the bondage that we have to the ways of this world. And so, God, we pray that this morning is another step on our journey of growing in the way of the kingdom, growing in the way of Jesus, so that we might look and act and taste and be just like you to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's do a little quick recap. Last week we kind of started this part of the, the sermon series, uh, or this, this part of uh, the series on extraordinary fasting, fasting and prayer. And I wanted to remind us that who we are. The church is God's people called out of the kingdom of darkness to learn the way of King Jesus as disciples of his way. We are sent into the world to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom with our lives and call the world to repentance through our loving kindness, to teach anyone who will learn, who will listen, the way of the kingdom. This is who we are. This is why we exist. This is what we do. Um, and what we're looking at is if we want to see disciple-making movements, which is we want to see people who taste the kingdom, start a walk with God, and then become a part of his kingdom people, we believe that that, like when we, when we see movements of that, around the world there are are spaces where hundreds and tens of thousands of people are starting their walk with God and stepping into the way of Jesus week after week. And that happens when these things happen. When you see radical prayer and a commitment to pray for the world around us, that starts spiritual movement. 
where we see missionary engagement, which means God people, God's people living out his calling where we're sent. When we see disciple-making, which is not, um, not just teaching in this space, but it's actually living our lives together and walking with someone who knows Jesus and learning how to walk with Jesus in a relationship. That's what disciple-making is. We see church planting emerge out of that. When you make disciples and you teach people the way of Jesus, these communities of faith are drawn together into homes and into buildings to proclaim and live out the way of the kingdom and train in that space. And then what you see as a result is families are radically transformed when people start walking in the way of Jesus. There's cultural transformation. When a neighborhood has the presence of God in it, it's felt by everyone there. When we are living out our kingdom calling, our neighbors experience the joy and the flourishing of God's people. That's why we are put in those places. And then it multiplies itself out as people live in that. And the center of what we do and everything we do is the gospel. And the gospel can be summarized into these three words, Jesus is Lord. This is the center of everything we do, is that we orient ourselves to say, I'm going to allow Jesus to be king over all things, including my soul. I'm going to orient my ways around his ways, and then I'm going to prepare and proclaim that God's kingdom is coming and live in the reality that it's already come in my life. This is, this is what we're doing. That's why we say Jesus is Lord is the center of what we are. What we also see is that gospel movements always have kind of these three key pieces that, that happen. Um, the first is that there is a life-changing experience with Jesus. And I know that many of you are here because you've experienced that. Someone told you about Jesus. You experienced him in your life. You experienced him in a time of prayer. You experienced him in, in a space like this where the word was spoken. And you said, I want that. And then God entered into your life and started to transform who you are. And when we have that, it's easy for us to say to the world, you know what? I've got good news because I've experienced good news. I've experienced God's kingdom and power in my life. And then the next step is, a willingness to simply obey God. And this is actually the part where peop, the, what's been called the church in, in our country has missed out is that we thought that it was just about knowing things. But everything we do is about listening to God and actually doing what he says. And so gospel movements start with us being willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to set aside the sin that's holding me back from you. Okay, God, I'm going to serve in a way that costs me something. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to take up your teachings and I'm going to live and experience the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to worship with radical abandon because I want to experience your presence in your kingdom when we're together. It starts with us saying, okay, I'm going to give myself over to Jesus and see what he'll do. And the third thing we see is that gospel movements start with the power of the Holy Spirit already at work in the world around us. And so when we look at our neighborhood, we don't go, oh, gosh, what a wasteland of spiritual darkness. We, we felt that, you know, especially probably after some, you know, hanging out with your neighbors, there's times. But what we see when we look at our neighbors is we see that God is already drawing them to himself. His spirit is already going ahead of us to convict the world of sin and judgment of righteousness, to give them the faith to believe. The Holy Spirit is drawing them to the Father and by his grace and patience, inviting them into a relationship with him. And so we expect God's already at work. And all we're doing when we go out into the world is to say, where's God already at work and how can I join him in that? 
And so what we believe is that this is kind of the pathway that we're training on as a people. This is what, this is everything we're going to do from now until the end of Redemption Hill is these five things. We're going to start with extraordinary prayer and fasting. We're going to commit ourselves to spiritual breakthrough that comes by being in God's presence, by listening to his voice, and we'll talk a little bit about fasting today, but by seeing spiritual breakthrough, by giving up something that we want for the sake of others. This is when the kingdom of God starts to come in power. And the second thing we do is we live the blessed rhythms as missionaries. We live sent out into the world where we're, we're not just free agents doing whatever we want, but we have a specific calling and purpose in the world around us. We begin in prayer. We listen to God. We eat meals together. We share stories, and we serve. And those five rhythms of missionary living start to transform the people around us. And then we have conversations proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And we invite people around God's word and we say, we're going to actually see what this says and do what it says. And in Discovery Bible Studies in homes and microchurch, we see those things happen. And the church emerges out of that. When we gather around God's word, we become his people, and then the church happens because of that. And so we see these house church, micro church things emerge. And then lastly, God then raises up new people because each one of you have been poured into. Each one of you have experienced God. Each one of you have learned how to lead through discovery Bible studies. You've learned how to share your faith. You've learned how to pray with power. You've learned how to work with God's spirit in the world. And when you're ready, God's going to say, you know what? It's time for you to lead. It's time for you to go and see this thing happen in your house, in your neighborhood, in your family. And that's what we are doing here is we are working towards that work. So that's just a little overview of where we're at. And we're last week working through extraordinary fasting and prayer. And I want to look at not... Um, we're called to pray, and I think that that's fairly obvious because prayer is the space where the thinness of the veil between this world and the next gets its thinnest because we are walking through that space into God's presence. What we're doing when we pray is we're saying, I want to be with God, and so I'm going to set aside the things of this world. I'm going to focus my mind on being in his presence, and I'm going to let him speak to me. Prayer is the quintessential work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we know that we're supposed to do this work of listening to the Father. We know that we're supposed to um, spend time with him. But it's not just because it's really strategic or it's a nice thing to do. We do it because that was the beginning of Jesus and Paul's missionary work was to start with extraordinary fasting and prayer. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, this is what we see Jesus does. He says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his followers, and he chose 12 of them to be his apostles, his missionaries. And here are their names, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bart, Matthew, Tom, Jimmy, Simon, Judas, and the other Judas. This is what it looks like. When Jesus said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to build this movement of the kingdom, he said, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to listen to the Father. And among the hundreds of people who had been drawn to Jesus' teaching, he said, I'm going to pick 12 teenagers 
and I'm going to show them how to walk with God. But he didn't just do it by looking around going, who's the most handsome and who's the tallest and who has the most draw with the girls. That wasn't his like mindset. His mindset was, I'm going to go and I'm going to listen to the Father. And then I'm going to step into and participate in the mission that he's called me to. Um, we see it again. We see it again in Matthew chapter 14. After sending them home, Jesus went up into the hills to pray by himself. And night fell while he was there alone. I wish we lived in a temperate climate because it'd be nice to just go up in the hills and pray all night. You know, like we'd, it's, it's pretty tough this time of year. You'll lose some fingers. But constantly we see the story of Jesus getting out in the hills above the city to pray. In Mark 1, it says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. In Luke 5, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. In Luke 9, it says, One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone, and only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say that I am? In Luke 11, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. We see tons and tons of space where Jesus himself said, I must withdraw from the crowds and I must withdraw from his family on mission, those disciple apostles that he had called. He said, I've got to get away to hear the Father's voice. And because he did that, things would happen. What we see after each of these little um, snippets of Jesus praying, after Jesus calls his disciples, then he, then he preaches his gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, that transforms the world that still is transforming the world today. The Sermon on the Mount was so powerful that when people hear it, they say, that's obviously God. The Sermon on the Mount is so powerful that people say, I must repent and start to follow Jesus. In Matthew 14, he sends them off. He goes into the hills to pray. And then he decides to join them by walking across the lake on water. This spiritual power is unleashed when he's with the Father. In Mark 1, right after Jesus goes out into an isolated place to preach, Jesus heals and then preaches the gospel in a way that has this powerful effect on the crowd. In Luke chapter 5, after Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to prayer, he comes back into town, and then the Spirit of God falls so powerfully that a paralytic is transformed and given healing to walk. In Luke 9, when Jesus leaves the crowds alone to, to go alone and pray, when he comes back, he brings his disciples with him, and then the transfiguration, his glorification, his, like literally the veil between heaven and earth are torn open, and the disciples get to see God's face when Jesus in his glory is with Moses and with Abraham. What happens when we pray and when we get alone is that powerful things happen in the world around us because we're deeply walking with the Father. Prayer does some really important things. For Jesus and for us, it kept him centered in the Father. Um, when Jesus went out into the desert for those 40 days, and Satan tempts him by saying, why don't you just turn this, this stones into bread and into, into water? Jesus said, listen, you have no idea, man. I've been out in here eating all I need because when I'm with the Father and his voice, it sustains me. It gives me the life that I need. Jesus wasn't fed through the gatherings of the people, but he was fed from the Father's voice. 
this is available to us. And, and if we want to be filled up with God, it requires us to find those secret spaces to hear his voice. Prayer also connected Jesus with the calling and the mission that God had for him. When Jesus pulled away with the Father, it helped him pay attention to what was happening around him. So that he, you all know what it's like. At the end of a day, let's say you've had five meetings, and then afterwards you took your kids to some sporting event. You've had 100 conversations, and you get home, and what do you want? What do you need? You need sleep and you need silence because we're all flipping overstimulated by the world around us, right? And what happens is when we pull back in silence, and rather than having a different kind of white noise in our life like television or alcohol or music or that novel that we're reading, when we sit in God's presence, what he does is he reminds us of why we're doing it all. He reminds us why we're there. And when Jesus went and spent time with the Father, the mission got really clear. And when I pray, what I realize is that I start to notice the spiritual realities around me. Um, I, I think I've told this story before, but I was meeting a neighbor to do some work for me at this property, and I just happened to have 15 minutes before they showed up, and I happened to pray. I'm not, I'm not a pray-all-the-time person. I pray sporadically and sometimes in depth and sometimes really thinly. But in that moment, I chose to pray. And what happened was God unleashed some real spiritual opportunity in that moment because I was praying. Um, I, I don't wear my glasses very often. And I didn't grow up with glasses. And so when I put them on, they're uncomfortable to me. But I've been wearing them a little bit more lately because I realized that when I put them on, I can see clearly. <laughs> I've got bad stigmatism and like I just have like streaks of light coming across my eyes all the time. And when I put the glasses on, I can see through it. And that's what's like when we pray. When we spend time in the Father's presence, it's like putting on glasses and being able to see through the fog of the world around us. When Jesus prayed, when Jesus brought his attention, the Father's attention to the needs around him, it unleashed power. So when Jesus would go up and pray, he would remind the Father of the suffering that he was experiencing. He'd tell the Father about the people that he walked by and everyone he saw that was miserable and in pain. And then Jesus would come down from the mountain and be able to minister because he had brought before the Father the attention of those things. Like we talked about, when we're engaged in the mission of the world, it's like we're putting a spotlight on suffering and saying, God, I want you to show up, and I'm here. You can do all those other things for those other people in other places, but I'm here and I'm ready. Would you bring healing? Would you bring freedom? Would you bring transformation to this situation? And what God says is, I've been waiting for somebody to pay attention. And when we pay attention, we bring it before the Father's attention. He unleashes freedom. He unleashes his presence through you in those spaces. And so if we want to see God work in powerful ways, it starts with a radical commitment to prayer and to fasting. Okay, so fasting is like a loaded thing, and it's, it's really in some ways so counterintuitive to a world that literally says do whatever you want eat whichever you want, drink whatever you want, nothing matters, okay? That's what the world around us says is whatever you feel like, whatever your body wants, you should go do it. 
And fasting is this radical, otherworldly way of living in the spiritual reality by denying the primacy, the authority of the flesh to drive us. And so when we fast, it's saying, I'm going to take away from my body the right to drive me to the things that will keep me from God. Um, Fasting is voluntary abstinence from food or some other normal appetite in our lives. And that's, we do that in order to see God break through for a specific spiritual purpose. And we, we have some hunches about why that is, but what we see is that fasting does this work of helping us break through spiritual strongholds. When things are in the way and we're stuck, when we pray and fast, it unleashes this opportunity for God to train, change how we see and feel about the world around us. And so fasting is an important way. It's not all the time, because if you did it all the time, it would feel very normal, and then when you did it, it wouldn't have its effect. But fasting is a, is a particular time. It's a temporary time of restraining and refraining from the physical in order to intensify our expression of need for what is spiritual, and that is God and his work and what he's doing in and through us. Um, it's, it's a way for us to turn our attention away from the seductive voices of the world and towards the great love of the Father. And so fasting and prayer are linked together constantly throughout Scripture. And by refraining from something like food, the hunger present in our bodies is actually meant to be a reminder to pray and desperately seek the Lord's face. Okay, so we pray, we, we fast so that when we feel hungry, it reminds us of our true state. Our true state is we are desperately hungry for God and for what he brings. We are hungry for his word and for his voice. And so when we fast, it reminds us that we are desperately malnourished from God's presence. It reminds us throughout the day to pray and to be with him. And so when we fast, that work is to say, I'm going to replace filling my stomach and filling the, the noise and voices in my head with the things of this world. I'm going to fill it with the things of God. And so the practice of, of regular fasting is normal Christian behavior. It was taught by Jesus. It was exercised by the early church. And it's been a regular discipline of believers throughout the entire church history. Um, and there's, there's three kinds of fasts. The first is a partial fast, which is like a limitation of your diet. Um, like the, we see Daniel do this um, in, in Babylon, where he, he says, I'm only going to eat pl- a plant-based diet. Now, if that doesn't say I hate myself and I'm and, I, and I'm and I'm gonna like I'm really gonna deny myself, it's getting away from the things that satiate. The things that satiate are honestly animal products that have proteins in them that fill our bellies and give us long-lasting energy. And when we do just do plants, like it, it's it's healthy for us for some for some amount of time. But what it does is it takes away. It changes our relationship with food from it being about pleasure. Who here loves some food? <laughs> I, I like those hands up. I love delicious food. I love making good food. I love thinking about food. It's obvious. I love thinking about food. Um, but when, when we take that away and we see food as a, as, a, as a gift of fuel from God, it transforms our relationship with it so that our hunger reminds us 
that we need God. The second is a, a biblical uh, fast, no food, only water. We see Jesus does this in the desert for 40 days in the wilderness. And 39 or 40 days is about all that the human body can handle. I'm not recommending a 40-day fast, but that's a type of fast that I have done in shorter increments that have had very powerful effects. Um, and then absolute fast, no food and no water. We see this practiced by Esther and Moses on Sinai. And these are short-term and, and are used in desperation when we have to cry out to God and say, I need you to come through and I need to be completely in your presence. And so I'm going to askew all of the ways of this world to be present to you. Fasting is really important if we want to see movement Prayer is so vital if we want to see spiritual movement in our city. Um, so, so what does that look like? Um, fasting does a couple of things. It can help us w- like work through the things that we're struggling with. So if, if you have issues with addiction, you have issues, maybe it's something as simple as the crazy addiction we have to that reach you know what i'm talking about that reach that that like you know when you're nervous and you just put your hand in that pocket to know your phone's there you know what i'm talking about that awkward like that's a very addictive thing if we need to remove our addiction from that fasting can be a way of doing that um in scripture it's it's not normally a personal discipline thing it's a corporate act that a body will do together to say, we want God to move, and so we are going to fast together to pray that God would move on our behalf. And so disciple makers around the world, people who live on mission, they're regularly fasting and praying as a way to cry out to God and shine that light on the needs of the world around us. Um, And what we see is that fasting and mission and disciple making are, are really linked because when we fast, at times, God will use that space to reveal to us what we're supposed to do. In Acts 13, verse 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hand on them and sent them off. And then the next chapter, in Acts chapter 13, when the church in Antioch first intentionally sends out missionaries to plant the gospel throughout the world, we see that the role of fasting and prayer highlights them where to go. And so those two questions, who am I called to go with and where am I called to go, who are the people I'm called to, fasting can be a way to clarify, to get in front of God and hear his voice. Um, and we also talked about how fasting brings spiritual breakthrough. In Mark chapter 9, 29, Jesus said to them, his disciples had gone out and they had, they had tried to drive out these demons in this man to free him from this constant torment. And Jesus said to them, this kind, you failed at it, but this kind can only come out with nothing but prayer and fasting. And so there's this deep connection between prayer and fasting and the work of God in our world. Fasting is it's kind of mysterious. <laughs> fasting can't make God do anything, but supernatural breakthrough is often the result. As fasting can frustrate the plans of the demonic and unleash the sort of angelic kingdom activity that we want to see in the world like we see in Daniel chapter 10 when they pray and fast and God sends down his messengers to give them a particular word from God as everyday missionaries we carry spiritual authority 
as caretakers in the world, as priests in our ministry context. We literally stand before God and before the world, and we are intermediaries. Uh, in, in Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are a, a royal priesthood, or sorry, in Hebrews, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are the people who stand between God and the world, and on their behalf, cry out to God for the world, and on God's behalf, we are making an appeal to the world for God. And so as we pray and fast, we invite the power of God to break strongholds, to reveal what he's doing and how we can join him in prayer and action. What Richard Foster says is this, fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that won't happen in any other way. It's a means of God's grace and a blessing that should not be neglected any longer. And I do want to say some of you, I, I know, struggle with your relationship with food, both in, in, a, in a way that is unhealthy as an addiction and also as a way to control your surroundings and as, you know, some of that looks like food and eating disorders. And I have to say, this is a really tricky place, just like every addiction, because every addiction is tied to a basic human need. And we can't give up what that relationship, I can't stop eating food because I have issues with food. I have to find a healthy relationship with it just like we have to do with sex and just like we have to do with relationships and just like we have to do with the world around us. We have to find ways to deal with it in healthy ways. And fasting shouldn't be a way to diet, to deal with your relationship with food. It also shouldn't be a way to justify the, the underlying problems that we have in using food as a way to control ourselves and control the world around us. Fasting should be a way to remove food as a Lord over our life and allow God to speak in that space. So I want to challenge you as, as you're fighting through this, let it be a spiritual discipline and not a physical discipline and don't see it as a good way to lose a few pounds, but rather as a way to enter into God's presence. So our work today is to commit together to extraordinary prayer and fasting. And um, for those of you who are here last week, we, we started this a little bit, but I actually have some more of these and my kids spilled coffee on it but could you yeah could you hand those out uh i'll use the coffee one all right um so so this first sheet is what we call the relationship mapping exercise and what i want to do is to start with asking like who has god put us in proximity with that we need to be praying and contending on their behalf. Um, and so what I want you to do is on this sheet, um, you are going to, it says exercise one relationship map. You're going to put yourself at the center. And then what I want you to do is I want you to think of people in your life who don't yet know Jesus. And then I want you to think of people that they know. So what, what, Think about those relational networks and the partnerships that you have in, in the world around you, whether it's at work or school or those things. So start with you in the center and then work your way out through relational networks. And I want to say some of you in this room are still in your own, you're still in your own journey of believing in God. Some of you haven't yet said, I'm, I'm all in with Jesus. And some of you are like, I'm here because my spouse wants me to be, or I'm here because I used to believe and I'm trying to figure out if I can still believe what I want to say is this. The reason why we're all drawn to this thing is that we're hoping that there's a way for the world to find what it's looking for, which is 
restoration. It's healing. It's freedom from the, the bondage to the ways of this world. And even if you don't believe, I think that starting to pray that God would bring transformation to the world around us is actually a key way that he can show you who he is. And so if you're on your faith journey and you're just starting out trying to figure out, can I believe in this anymore? Is this something that I want to be a part of? I want to invite you, would you think about the brokenness of the world around you and think about what God could do to bring restoration and then pray to see it happen and see what God does? Because I think that we'll all be surprised by it. So hopefully you have a pen. If you don't, you can actually just use your phone and just kind of do the relationship mind map there on the left side. And it might help you to do this second exercise as well and think through the context of your life. Um, so maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your kid's school. Uh, maybe it's the soccer team that you play on or the softball team that you hang out with or the D&D, you know, hangout that you have with your buddies or whatever, whatever that thing is that you're embarrassed to talk to the rest of us about. Just write it, you know, write that little context down there. You know, your, your stamp collecting club, your birds aren't real um, hangout. I don't know. I don't know what kids do nowadays. They seem to do strange things. Um, but write down those contexts and then use that as a, as a reminder of who are the people in your life and, and, and what, what could I be praying for for them. So I want, to, I want to give you a couple minutes. I want you to write those down. And then what we're going to do is that we're going to get together into groups of, you know, four, five, six. And we're just going to pray because we want to be people who are marked by prayer. We're going to pray for God's work in our lives. We're going to pray for God's work in these people's lives. And we're going to pray for a breakthrough spiritually in our, in our neighborhoods and in the world around us, okay? So I'll give you a few minutes to fill that out, and then I'll tell you to jump in um, with a few people. And my, my challenge to you, there's also there's a second sheet that you can go through with your microchurch. And there's these practices of, of the blessing prayer. And what this is, is taking spiritual authority and saying that I'm going to pray for God's blessing over other people because you are the priest that actually call down God's blessing into the world. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at your neighbors and I don't want you to pray that God would help them to stop making that big pile of rubbish at the, uh, on the fence next to your house that bugs you every week, okay? What I want you to pray for is that God would bless them supernaturally with his peace, I want you to pray that God would bless them with what they need. I want you to pray that God will come and be a part of their life, whether it's through you or somebody else, in ways that's unexpected. I want you to pray for freedom for them. I want you to pray your blessing over them because God does that with his people. He allows you to be a conduit for it. So take a moment, write down some names, and then in a, in a minute I'll tell you to, to jump into circles together. All right, I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we finish up our morning. Um, I want to challenge you to write five to ten names in your Bible or on a, on a card in your Bible and start praying for the blessing of those people, praying for God's Spirit to show up in their lives, and then pay attention and see what opportunities come along when we, when we invite God to be at work because he wants to. And as we, his people, join him in that work of prayer and fasting and being in his presence, the Holy Spirit does incredible things. Let's pray together. Holy Father, um, 
my neighborhood is filled with lonely people struggling through life. My friends are struggling with the death of their parents. They're, they're being torn apart, losing these incredibly important relationships, and also being confronted with the mortality of our lives. So, Lord God, I pray for my neighbors who are experiencing loss right now. And I pray that you would bless them with your comfort. I pray that you would bless them with people who will walk with them in these seasons without platitudes, but with their presence and their love. And I pray, God, for important conversations about what's next after this life. Father, I pray that our people here in this room would be conduits of your spiritual power, releasing your blessing and your love into the world, and also speaking truthfully about the coming kingdom and inviting people to experience you in that. Holy Father, do some incredible work in our city as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.